You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Okay, I'm ready with my... Uh, You're, you got Clorox there, I see. Are you planning to I, inject that in accordance well, with the president's I, explicit instructions? <laughs> Are you supposed to inject it or chug it? Anyway, I, think he, I think he recommended injecting, and if you don't have a hypodermic needle, I, I think he said do shots with a well, tequila I, chaser. I was going to be the first vlogger to commit suicide on the air by drinking Clorox, but... Great way to I get hate, your brand recognition up there. Uh, I hate bleach. Bleach is bad stuff. Stay away from it. So we should talk about that. I mean, but, um, a, well, first uh, we should you say, know, yeah, on all the, all those things about how if you combine two household chemicals, you produce a poisonous mustard gas. Mm-hmm. They all involve bleach, so don't use bleach. And don't so inject it or or chug it. So uh, but it is the sort of the, the acid test, you know, drinking the Kool Aid for. For yeah. Jones people is are you part you of Trump's base or not? Yes. Do you in, do you inject or just drink? No, but I mean, are you a real Trumpist? If you're a real Trumpist, a hardcore Trumpist, you inject the bleach. I'm trying to start a new, totally a new turn of phrase. You're you're very soft. Can you turn up your volume? Sure, I can turn up my volume. Or is that just your soft spoken nature? It's my style, but maybe I should. Uh, if there's a I think, well, okay, sure, I'll try. Um, but why don't you entertain people while we're doing that by juggling or something? <laughs> Let's see, audio settings. How's this? Um, that's, now that's speaker. We want microphone. Oh, this is going to work wonders, I think. Wait, it won't go up. Automatically just volume. Got to uncheck the box if you want to. There you go. How's that? Is that better? That's much better. There you go. Okay. Uh, um, so, so this week, first of all, I should say this is the right show. Uh, until we come up with a name for the 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 subset of the right show that uh, that is my series of conversations with you about the pandemic. Uh, it's available on both streaming video and audio podcast. Whoa, I'm, I'm seeing huge sound waves on the Audacity. I'm thinking maybe I've overdone this thing. Maybe I'll step back from the microphone. Anyway, um, the. Uh, you're Mickey Kaus. I'm Robert Wright. Uh, we talk pandemic. I think this week some of the stories include my contention that basically it's more or less official that we're our nation has settled on a um, herd immunity strategy. You can get into that. Also, some possibly good news about the the death rate uh, that would be related to how viable a, a herd immunity strategy is. But you, you Mickey. Enough about me and this. Um, what's with the glasses? Those are new. They're not new, but they make me look exactly like my father. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, but uh, I thought I'd try them out. It's a good look. Although I maintain I that when his generation wore glasses like that, we can tell our audio listeners that, you know, they're your basic late 50s, early 60s frames with little diamonds in the corner. But um, I think they were smaller then relative to their faces. I think that was the look. I think that's the difference between authentic and retro. Could be. Anyway, it worked on him. Doesn't really work on me, but... No, it's a good look. It's a good look. Um, um, but no, about this press, I, maybe we should start with Trump's uh, suggestion that perhaps we will someday be injecting disinfectant. Now, I, in case anyone miss, missed this, I'm going to play what he said. Uh, whoops. Uh, and the beauty of this is that I'm going to hold up for video watchers. I am going to hold up uh, 
the version of this where they can see this funny woman, Sarah Cooper, doing this thing. You saw this, right? No. Oh, I sent you the link, Mickey. Anyway, she does. So so everyone will hear Trump when I play this. This is what he actually said at the press conference. People who are watching on video will see um, will see uh, this woman doing a, a very funny thing with a voice. OK, so here we go. Uh, oh, actually, I can't have it both ways. I guess I can. Okay, so here's, we'll try. I hope people can hear this, and I hope viewers can see this, and I'm sorry for wasting your time explaining it, but here's what he said. We hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. <laughs> and I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number in the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. I think that's genius. I think that's genius. People got to Google Sarah Cooper. Um, so anyway, I, this is a serious question. Like, you know, and and I am not big on like dwelling on the craziest thing he says at each press conference. But I thought this was kind of a new genre of of strangeness. Like, like pretty, I'm really wondering what's going on inside his brain. It, it's it, it's it's like an acid trip. It's very heavy, Bob. We bring the light inside the body. Oh, it's Think mystical about that for a while. It's That's, mystical. Maybe he read my book on Buddhism. It's possible. Maybe he's a listener to your uh, Mindful Resistance. Uh, now maybe. renamed the Non-Zero Newsletter. Thank okay. you for the opportunity to plug that. Anyway, I thought he. I thought it was like it was like he was on acid. It was very bizarre. It was seriously. It was a new level of crazy. I okay, agree. But, he, but we know he wasn't on acid. He doesn't even drink. So, like, what do you think was actually? Like, he thinks these are actually good ideas that he's kind of proud of, right? I mean, clearly he yeah. hadn't, he hadn't yes. vetted them. He he doesn't even think he needs to run this by... You, I, I don't think he had... Or maybe he had vetted them, and people are so used to nodding when he says crazy stuff that they nodded when he said this before, and so he thought, yeah, we're good to go. It's like it's like us doing blogging heads. He's working without a net. He he's has, working uh, without a net. He's just he's just making it up. Uh, no, I think it was what exactly what you say, and it was deeply troubling. And uh, today he said it was sarcastic. You saw no, that? No, that was not. Today sarcastic, he said he was Donald. just he was just joking. Which, if he was joking, he was really getting people going. I must admit, but I that don't was, think he was joking. I think that was not I, a joke. Uh, His but, idea. You know, they, Good, Bob, good ideas come from bad ideas. If you were brainstorming in a room with 20 doctors, that might not be a bad thing to bring up, you know? You're right. I take it back. And then, and then he get put down, but still. Man, that Uh, was, that was, and I, you know, he has us inured to weird, but that was really weird. Yeah. He's, uh, it is a, it is a, 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 what the disconnect is that he thinks this, these news conferences are helping him with bond with the American people. And they're not doing that at all. Uh, you know, well, is it, I liked his line about Joe Biden. What'd he say? We got to 
tired guy sitting in a basement. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's his idea of a joke. Like that's when you know he's joking is when he makes fun of someone in, in, in a way you might have in high school. That's that was a good capsulation of, it was a very pithy description of Biden's campaign strategy. uh, Some would say it was charitable actually, if he just called him tired, but um, the, uh, so what's what what what's your sense of the big the 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 news in pandemic this week? Uh what's my sense of the news? Uh I I find the the clamor to reopen is almost irresistible. And I find that I am more at least to start to reopen. I'm I'm more amenable to it now than I was before and I'm trying to figure out why that is. Cuz before if you remember I was sure that if we didn't do this lockdown that basically I was going to get it and get triaged at the hospital and die. Mm -hmm. And now that fear has sort of subsided, I guess in part it's because uh, that the hospitals haven't been overwhelmed. Uh, In part it's, it's because uh, in, in the state where I live, California, it's just not as big a deal as it is in New York. And I am also confident in the politics uh, of it that in California, if there's any sense that it's getting out of control, the, the, the liberal politicians who are in charge will crack down immediately. So it's not like it's not like there's a, the state is out of control with with chamber of commerce types who are desperate to reopen. I also don't know anybody who's had it and nobody who's died of it. I know people on the Web whose parents have died, but nobody, nobody in my small personal set, I don't think even knows somebody who has it. I know uh, people, so I have neighbors whose kids have had it, and, and it was kind of hard on one of them, and she's in her 20s. But I don't huh. know, I don't know people who have um, died of it. And, uh, and the other thing is, I think, like everybody at if you look at the map, you think there's some sort of climate thing at work. Uh, why is uh, California doing so much better than New York? Is it really that we locked down a week earlier? It's possible. Well, uh, New York, I mean, nobody has a, a, a mass transit system like New York's. I mean, it's just sardines in that subway. And, and, and plus, not to mention the bus system, the population density on the sidewalk. You know, nobody actually, has anything like New York. Megan McArdle has to post uh, a tweet up now where the guy thinks it's not the mass transit system. It's the, that they kept their airports open later than everybody. And somehow the airports are the crucial hub. Well, it, it, it is the entry point from Europe. You know, New York right. has several. Uh, and then if you add in Newark, there's a total of what? Three or, well, I guess just three major airports. Um, and, and by the way, the week that this was just getting going, it was like when the NBA had shut down. And, and so just days before everyone else started taking it seriously, I had conversations with two separate people who said that they knew people who had flown in from Italy. I think one to the Philadelphia airport, one to New York airport, and nobody said anything to them. And at that point, that was already shocking to us. We knew that Italy was a problem. Supposedly, people were being screened who came from Italy. Nobody was. They just came, they just waltzed right in. And, you know, when I don't want to get into blame Trump mode right away, but uh, I'll do a little. I mean, that's that, there's so many little parts of the story uh, that I think aren't being told that have to do with the sheer 
incompetence that has slowly sunk into governance um, or has gotten worse in in the in the government since uh, Trump took over. I mean, stuff just doesn't get done. It, well, well, the classic example of that is the thing with the testing, and that was the permanent bureaucracy that screwed that up. Is your claim that if somebody else had been in charge, they would have road herd on them? And you know, they they took basically what happened with the testing is they decided on a three component test as opposed to the simple two component test. And the third component that they added, which was unnecessary, they contaminated. Okay. Okay. So they could just take that out of the test and say, just use the two that we need. Okay. It took them a month to make that decision. Okay. Well, Trump is a guy. It would take us a second to make that decision. Okay. But why did it take them a month? Good question. Now that's a CDC thing, right? Right. Now I, 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 I do think that if Bill Clinton was president, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have taken them a month. No, I agree. But also, even if you just oh, – same with Obama, certainly. I mean, Obama would have, you know, been a little more hands-on. But just – there's also the fact that uh, – leave, us, leave aside the fact that Trump didn't intervene. You know, he appointed the head of the CDC, right? And my understanding is that this Redfield guy is the head of the CDC – because evangelicals wanted him. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, often appointees are are a bone thrown to a constituency. I can and, and uh, I'm sure there are a lot of great uh, doctors that evangelicals like. But but apparently, one of the things they liked about him was that when it came to AIDS, he had championed um, you know abstinence. Which nothing wrong with that. Even it's just that championing abstinence isn't a very important credential across the board, right? I mean, like this disease doesn't have anything to do with abstinence. It's, it's anyway, I hope I've got all those facts right. I think I do. But, but, but the um, main thing is Trump is responsible for people he appointed. He, he, he is responsible. I don't, for think that. I don't think Redfield is the main bad actor here, although ultimately he's responsible. You think Azar? Is, sorry. You think Azar at HHS or who? Well, yeah, yeah, and uh, and lower down. I mean, uh, Rod Rosenstiel's sister has a lot to answer for, Ms. Messonnier. Uh And ultimately, Trump. I mean, Redfield's just a way station in between Trump and getting it done. So it's uh, – Azar seems like a fool, uh, bizarrely. Well, somebody uh, did and- – a- uh, somebody uh, is out to get him. There was a Wall Street Journal story about him that clearly came from inside the administration saying that on, I think, oh, January, yeah. January 31st, Azar said nothing to worry about or something anyway. The, the, the knives, the are, knives are totally out for this guy. Yeah, yeah. it's But um, it's not clear that it's not deserved. No. Where, where was Fauci when all this was happening? I mean, it, it, any anybody who was in that orbit must have realized they're taking an awfully long time. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm I'm for an orgy of recrimination, but after this is all over. Yeah, the um, um, so so I'm trying to figure out, and I guess this segues into your question: if if you open up gradually, does that mean you're committed to a herd immunity strategy, or is there some intermediate strategy of delaying it until there's a therapy that w- without having to get to the sixty percent? infected 70 percent infected that uh that is required for herd immunity which involves infecting a whole lot of people yeah well first of all i mean there are gradations of herd immunity strategies there's like open it all up the sooner the better let's reach herd immunity you know 80 percent or whatever people have it 90 percent and then we're good or have had it um i should add by the way 
this assumes certain things about uh, immunity being conferred by exposure, which aren't crystal clear. It's not clear. Uh, there's some evidence that older people don't generate a lot of antibodies. It's not clear how long the antibodies confer immunity. But in any event, assuming that, let's say they give you at least a year's immunity, um, well, you open it all up and everybody gets sick who's going to get sick and, and you're done. But then the you know, another form of herd immunity is is more or less what we seem to be doing. You open up the spigots a while, uh, for the disease, I mean, and then when you open up the spigots, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, you, you, you close, you shut the disease down, then you open the spigots of, on the economy, which open the spigots on the disease, it gets to be a problem again, you're going to have to shut it down or something, and slowly, in phases, you reach herd immunity. So, and what's the advantage of that overdoing it all at once is that you delay things so that there might be a therapy. Yeah, which there could be. There's, you know, I was going to ask you, what are your current feelings on hydroxychloroquine? But there are other things, apparently, at Fort Detrick, they're testing some oleander derivative. Um, and, but, you know, there's, there pos- also you just learn more about how to treat it over time. And, and, and um, and and yeah, there's more hope of a of an effective antiviral or a vaccine. That, that's the argument for for pushing it forward. Right. But again, if Here's, immunity doesn't last long, that's an that's almost yeah. an argument against pushing it forward. Yeah. Well, I'll, I guess I will settle for that. A slow, fitful opening up, uh, paying a close attention to the data and paying attention to how fast these remedies are coming online. Uh, you know, the big one that everyone was hoping for, the Gilead drug, seems to have flopped on its first test. So. Which one, which one is that? Remzadivir or whatever or Reza, you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, so that flopped as badly as hydrochloroquine. Uh, is the, it totally, uh, is it totally clear that hydrochloroquine is? No, the, the, the second, the second thing is, uh, the, the conventional wisdom among hydrochloroquine fanatics is that it has to be given early. There's no point in giving it late. Uh, so basically you have to take it before you go to the hospital. So mm-hmm. all these tests about, well, these people were on ventilators already and we gave them hydrochloroquine and didn't do any good might not be the definitive word on whether it's useful. Uh, but you know, let's, I assume that some studies will, will give it early and see what happens. And, and so I, I'm hopeful, but, uh, uh, you know, but I, you can't pin your hopes on well, that the, or, the, or on any of these things. The Trump supporting holdouts for hydrochloroquine maintain that it's been the victim of biased media coverage. And honestly, these days, I'm, I'm not sure I can dismiss that, uh, possibility. I, I, uh, when I looked, I, I read a New York Times story that cited studies tending to discredit the drug a couple of weeks ago. And when I glanced at the actual abstracts of the studies, they weren't quite as damning as the article seemed to suggest. Plus you could always be cherry picking your studies. So I don't. Yeah. No, that's uh, going on. They, they see this as another anti-Trump cudgel somehow, but yeah. it, now that he's given them the bleach, I mean, what do they need the hydrochloroquine for? I mean, <laughs> you know, let's, let's see the studies on ingesting bleach. I think they'll probably come out pretty negative. Here's my question about, uh, about herd immunity. Uh, Part of the strategy that all the open up people say is, well, we'll protect the elderly, okay? A, I don't think that's quite possible. Uh, we have hundreds of cases of nursing homes being contaminated. It's very hard to, especially when the virus is prevalent in the general population, people have to go in there and serve food, their nurses coming in. It's very hard to protect, uh, e- even in an enclosed space of 
the nursing home. And once one person gets it in the nursing home, boom, the whole nursing home is going to get it. So um, uh, maybe that's a pipe dream. But even if you could do that, does herd immunity ever help those people? In other words, those will those people then be able to go out into the outside world? If Suppose they're 20% of the population. The other 80% of the population is younger. They all have, have had it. They have immunity. The 20, 20% of old geezers go out into the population. Are they protected or, or are they just as vulnerable as before? Well, I think supposedly once you reach true herd immunity, I mean, the, the, the virus actually dies out. It just can't find enough people to transmit itself and uh, it, it dies out, in which case older people would be safe. Um, returning to civilization. But that means you can't have any you've got it coming in the airports. You have to be sealed from the outside world. And, well, uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's ultimately a global problem and it can always creep back in. You want to know the insight I had into nursing homes? Uh, so you were asking about like, you know, to what extent do I see, you know, do I know anybody who's died? Blah, blah, blah. Well, there are a couple of nursing homes near here where there has been, uh, something of a toll. There's one that I, I, I ride my bike every pretty much every day for exercise. There's a nursing home I, I drive by where now four, uh, four I think four people have died. And I noticed, I'd never really noticed this place, but uh, to speak of, but I noticed there's a municipal bus pulled up to it, and it's an actual stop on the bus route. And nursing homes are, and, and, and the reason, one reason is they don't pay the staff at nursing homes very much, and a lot of them don't own cars. So you've got right. a situation where the most vulnerable population is being serviced by a bunch of people who are riding public transportation every day. And this is the way it is, like, across the country. And those buses are the vectors. I mean, that's, I suspect, I mean, that's, that, you know, and it, you've had, I think a quarter of the people who have died in America or something were in nursing homes. And I think this is a big part of the story. Everybody's taking public transportation to the nursing homes. That's my theory. Uh, and that, of course, uh, is true in Sweden as well. And it, and the problem is uh, that, not to be tactless about it, but when people in nursing homes die, nursing homes die, it makes a lot smaller social dent than when younger people die. So, uh, in a sense, they're easy to kill politically. If if you if you're well, they have children. I mean, they have children right, who are but, politically active and so on. But but yeah, I mean, it, it, people mourn the loss uh, of of older people less than they mourn the loss of younger people. But that's dark- like um and it, yeah. Anyway, the other the other speculation is in Sweden. Not to bring up the topic we talked about last time. A, a lot of the deaths are in uh, Somali workers in overcrowded conditions. Which is also politically, you know, if, 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 if you say, oh, it's just those Somalis dying, uh, you might be able to be more tolerant of a, of, of, of a letting, letting the economy run than if they were your, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's an artifact of racism. So the tolerance of it. Um, yes. yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just worry, I worry that we're, we're saying, oh, n- people in nursing homes die. They die all the time. What the hell? Let them die, and that seems to be a horrible attitude. Yeah, well, in a sense, the the kind of the least politically influential people are dying, either very old people who may or may not be affluent, um, or people who just aren't affluent. I mean, you know, that's largely the the story. There've been a this. bunch of affluent people die. Uh, you know, Tr- Trump's middle- friend, Trump's friend, who was a major real estate tycoon. Yeah, but how old was he? 
He's in his 80s, I think. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, older people who may or may not be affluent. I think most of the the kind of middle-aged people who die uh, are are less likely to be affluent. So here's a question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. I was going to ask, is it true, as some people are claiming, that hydrochloroquine was, or hydroxychloroquine was used heavily in in New York? Yes. Have you, have you heard that? It was. Okay. Well, yeah, but it a- was used at the hospital. So if it's too late by, by the time you get to the hospital, then it's too late. Okay, but, but fine. It- even so, even so, maybe this, what I'm going to show you, will uh, be grist for the mills of, of pro-hydroxychloroquine. Okay, so look ahead. at this. So, okay. So this, for listeners, this is the daily deaths in New York chart. It looks the way you would hope it to. It has reached its peak. It's clearly been declining for a week or so. Just a, an arc. Exactly what you want from social distancing. Now, here's the chart for the U.S. Um, that's not what's happening. The uh, it, Now, I do think it, it's a very jagged chart for some reason, but I don't think this includes the, uh, the retroactively added deaths. It's not jagged for that reason, but... I, I think if you smooth this out, the last part would look kind of like a plateau, but only a plateau. There's no – we're not on the descent nationwide. And in fact, alarmingly, if you compare our curve with Spain's and Italy's, and they should in theory be our future, right? Because Italy started, I don't know, a week or two right. before us. It's not the same curve. They got to the peak of their arcs and started declining within a few days the, our curve has not. When you put them on the very same graph, there is a difference. We're still on a plateau. I I assume that's because we're spreading to new areas of the country that were hitherto uninfected. So even though it's declining in the hot, former hotspots, there are new hotspots well, like Detroit although, popping up. Although, now let me show you New Jersey, where I live, where it's been for a long time. Doesn't look like New York. Looks like the United States. It's not a descending curve. Well, do, that's interesting. Do they not give hydrochloroquine in New Jersey? Hmm. My understanding is that was a, a Cuomo initiative. He he huh. he opened it up. He encouraged it. Because because a lot of the you know the, I have this information from from people working in the hospitals who who tweet about it, and they tweet, "Hey, the standard you know our standard procedure is we give them hydrochloroquine," uh, but. They, some of them said they didn't think it was doing any good. So there's that. And they, you know, the hydrochloric, yeah, that, that's very interesting because, uh, Derek Lowe, who is a, a vaccine hunter who, who has a very good blog, uh, very smart guy, uh, made the point that if, you know, if it's so miraculous, they're giving it in New York. Why hasn't it cured the problem? Uh, and, uh, you're, you're, Chart may show that it's New York actually looks better than the country at large right now, and oh. it looks better than New Jersey. Don't show that chart to Laura Ingram; she'll put it on the air. Just link to us, and then no doubt she'll give me credit, knowing um, that I'm a fan of hers. Uh, the uh, that's a very interesting point. The other thing, of course, is that there, if you if you're into Twitter, there are all sorts of people who say, "No, you don't need hydrochloroquine; you need this other special kind of chloroquine." That's the one that works. Well, they add. Uh, uh, there's a second drug they add with it in some of the in some of the trials. Right, but there it's not. It's not that drug. It's not the mm, okay. As it's not the zinc, and it's not the. There's there's one other one that somebody said yeah. from China said you have to try. So there are all sorts of variants they have to try, also. But um, mm. 
Uh, here's my, here's what I was going to say was the other initiative. I don't think protect the elderly works. Uh, uh, I don't think, I guess it's better than nothing, but, uh, the idea that well, it's not working in nursing homes. I think it may be right. working in some homes. It's going to work for me. What? How's it going to help me? I mean, it means well, you're isolated. Okay, so yeah, I it's guess working. It it's me. working for affluent people. Uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, but I think yeah, it, it's not working someplace. In principle, it can work. Look for that matter. If the government wanted to get serious. They could say, uh, look, we're going to really focus on nursing homes. We're going to, we're going to make sure the workers, A, are tested. B, don't take public transportation could, to work. You know, they could get serious and throw money at it. I mean, aren't we trying, aren't we looking for things to throw money at? Uh, don't we, you know, uh, pay them more, pay the, pay the nursing home workers more. I or guess something. When, when somebody succeeds in making that work, they'll, I'll be impressed. The other thing that seems like a fraud is contact tracing. The idea that, this isn't like a sexual disease where you can say how many people have you slept with. Yeah. It's like a it's like a, a finite number for most of us, and uh, you can trace <laughs> I think those for all people. Of us, actually, and uh, this is how many people were you in the vicinity of? It could be uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of people, and they could be you know and you and those only they can only trace the people who have symptoms. If you're asymptomatic, they're not going to contract trace you because they don't even know you have it True. really. Unless they test everybody, which they're not going to do. So well, now there are uh, these. these I, I, that seems like a fig leaf too. Well, of course there are these apps that you know a- Apple and Google are paving the way for. Um, uh, they're going to release the uh, the APIs, I think, uh, soon for these apps. But it sounds you know, and it's a way that not only does the contract trace contact tracing, but does it b- by preserving your privacy. The more I think about it, the less practical it seems, but. What it would do, it doesn't get over all the problems you're talking about. I don't understand. There's 380 million people in America. How many? Why can't we test every single one of them? Because we you're don't have for, Well, that's you're looking for something to spend money on. Well, uh, you tell me why the government cannot ramp up the the testing very fast. That this is the big criticism. Uh, you know, this is why we're having to settle for herd immunity. You know, because uh, remember what Fauci said is, look, we don't open back up. This is what he said weeks ago. He can't say it now. He said we don't open back up until we have plenty of tests that give you instantaneous results on the spot. Well, we're nowhere near that, but we're opening up. His plan was you would open up and have the contact tracing like under control and keep the virus shut down. Right. Now, now he, that probably entailed both waiting until the incidence of the virus is at a lower level than it is now and until we have uh, more, more of a contact tracing program in place. But we're opening up and we don't have either. And right. That was Trump forced him to give up on that. They're now, they're now just uh, testing healthcare workers and tracing healthcare workers. Right. It, it's so we're, that's what I mean. We're settling for herd immunity for now. Now, maybe the good news is, uh, some of these studies, now all of these studies have methodological problems. They're almost impossible to get around. But uh, several studies have shown that, uh, both in California, those are the more controversial studies, and in New York, that more people than they had realized, this comes from antibody testing, have been exposed to the virus and have antibodies. And that means, first of all, the death rate is lower than they had thought, you know, percentage of those who get the virus who die. 
And it means there's more immunity in the population. So according well, to this one thing, 20% of the people in New York City, tested in New York City, have been exposed. Well, a couple points. First, uh, a lot of people are skeptical of those studies, for, I think, for two main reasons. One is any test has false positives. So if, you're, if your test has 5% false positives, that could just be, you know, most of the people that you think are positive. And the second thing is... Uh, they were opt-in, a lot of them. A lot right. of those studies, especially the ones in California, you know, they put ads on Facebook saying, hey, you want to be tested? Well, people who think they're sick are the ones that say, I want to be tested. So you're getting a biased a sample of the population. Yeah, they were a little subtler than that, but ultimately people did get a message on Facebook and they had to want to get tested. Right. Now, you can right. argue either way what kind of bias that creates you could say well people who who have reason to think they've been sick want to get tested or you could say people who are very worried about this want to get tested and the people who are most worried are the people who have been taking the precautions and so are less likely to have it but that's a good point you can't you can't get around it i mean even in new york where they like approached people uh, i think in public like at supermarkets and stuff first of all you're only approaching people who are in public that's not a random sample and b if they said no, I'm sure there's nothing you could do. I mean, uh, and it makes you wonder whether is this important enough so that the government should uh, declare that it has the power to to basically force people to get tested. You know, randomly select social security numbers, tell people they have to be tested. That's the that's the only way to get around uh, the methodological it's, problem. It's very it's very similar to the problem of exit polls during the Kerry Bush race. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to talk to the tall kid in a parka uh, because the, if they were Republican, because they assumed he was a Kerry person. <laughs> so the exit polls became very biased. Um, plus, plus, people have to agree to those, too. They walk up to you and say, can we interview you? And you can say no yeah. and walk off. So my other question is, uh, uh, if suppose the 20 percent figure is right. How far away is that from herd immunity? Is that close to the 60% for herd or 70% for herd immunity? Or is that as far away as it seems to the average person? Some people, some doctors I've read say, oh, that's pretty far away. The other doctors, other, other people on, on Twitter say, well, that's just two doublings away. All we have to go through is two doublings. Uh, I don't know. I, I would think at least a couple of more waves of this, uh, just, but I would say, it has immediate impact. I mean, first of all, if you if you had enough tests to identify the 20%, then you've got 20% of the population that can rejoin the economy without any concern about hurting themselves or anyone else because they're not going to transmit the virus. And B... We think. Well, uh, again, sure all of this either. assumes that you're conferring immunity. Right. If you're not, then herd immunity doesn't work anyway. And, and no, that's, but in theory, in theory, couldn't you have immunity and still be shedding the virus? Well, only while you've still got the disease, I think. I mean, if you're post-symptomatic. Well, who says that? What? Why, why, why does that follow? I just think that's a way to do it. I think this disease, first of all, most of the virus shedding is early, pre-symptom, including pre-symptomatic. But I, I, my understanding is the way it works is that once the, the disease phase per se is over, which is three, four weeks or whatever, um, no, I think you're good. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Some people okay. can correct okay. me if I'm wrong. Um, um, but the other thing is, if you've got 20% of the population immune, then you've got the virus spreading uh, appreciably more slowly through the population, even when you open up the economy. 
and and the higher you get, the slower it spreads. You know, so the longer you can keep the economy open before you you know achieve a certain uh, number of well, achieve is the wrong word when you're talking about number of deaths, but before you reach a certain. I don't understand, but that just delays. That just delays the achievement of herd immunity. Right? It delays it, but it, it increases the number of days where you can have actual economic activity before you have to shut down again. Okay, right, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, my my big argument was, you know, I've been paying close attention to Sweden, as has everybody, because Sweden is supposedly the country that bucked the trend and said, let's keep the economy going, although they did, that's a little bogus because, A, there was a lot of voluntary compliance, and B, you know, they did close down schools over uh, 16, and they did tell everybody they should, you know, try to stay at home, and most most of the people did try to stay at home. But it looked like that they were going to win. Like, in the middle of last week, I was thinking, well, maybe Sweden's going to pull this off. And now they've had a, a few bad days, uh, and certainly their death rate is – 200 per million people, which is above ours, which is about 150 and way above their, their Nordic neighbors. So that's nothing to boast about, but it's still not out of line with the rest of Europe. So, um, the, um, but what that suggests to me is that, uh, uh, what did it suggest to me? It suggested to me that there's a, one thing is there's a climate thing. Why are, why are all the, why are all the Nordic countries relatively low? And there's this swath through the middle of Europe that's high. Why isn't Africa seething with the virus? Why isn't India seething with the virus? Uh, why isn't Los Angeles seething with the virus? Uh, presumably, there's some climate thing. Well, I mean, didn't they say as much? At the, remember, the thing that started Trump's little soliloquy at the press conference yesterday was they showed some slides documenting the effect of heat and light and disinfectant. Now, with disinfectant, they were talking about countertops, not the interiors of your cells. But that 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 aside... You're not um, thinking outside the box, Bob. I know. But anyway, no, they showed. Humidity has a deleterious effect on the virus. Uh, heat does and light does. I think they showed all those things. And so... You know, uh, like, for example, like apparently in Florida, they are opening the beaches in Jacksonville, although not in Miami. Well, maybe this says that opening the beaches per se is less dangerous than you might have thought. On the other hand, when you when a bunch of kids show up to, to do the beach, they also have a nightlife. And that's a problem, probably. But but uh, beaches per se may be safer than we had thought. I don't know when they learned this stuff. I had heard rumors about heat and humidity. uh Weeks and weeks ago, like somebody was sending there's around. Some, there's some some people dispute that. There's some studies that seem to show it it doesn't sunlight doesn't kill it. That it's only the you know there are three kinds of ultraviolet light, and the dangerous kind is blocked by the the atmosphere, so we don't get it. Hmm. But unfortunately, that's the one that works. Oh. There's some studies that show that you need UVC, not UVA and B. Well, you know uh, what Trump and, is going to say about this. Is you have you to just, get the UVC inside our body. You no, know, you send people up in spaceships. That's a good idea. And then you inject the ultraviolet light into their bodies through their orify. We need it. We need a president who, who thinks outside who, uh, the box, who uh, speculates like that. The um, the 
uh, the other thing is that Singapore has all those qualities and they still have had a second outbreak. It's hot, it's humid, there's a lot of sunlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer to that, I think, is that as with Sweden, it is concentrated in the barracks of migrant workers. Uh, the Singapore, you know, and that's. You keep again, coming back a, to this. Again, it was an artifact of racism. Singapore took care of everybody except the migrant workers. Okay. Uh, also, it's very dense place, right? With a lot of public transportation, Singapore? I don't know. I think it's I dense. This, it's a city it's, state. Uh, it's very wealthy, though. Don't wealthy people like to separate themselves? I don't know. I'm sure they are separated from the public uh, transportation. So, um, so. We're almost through with my list. What, what else is on your list? The immigration order. Oh, yeah. Which turned out to be less than someone like you might have hoped. It, it doesn't include migrant workers or something. What doesn't, doesn't no, include? The, the immigration order was a, was way, way less than people on my side hoped because it looked like, you know, it, it, it's only for le- it only affects legal immigrants. It looks like it looked originally like it was going to pause all forms of immigration. Uh, including uh, guest workers who come in, you know, they're basically there are a million people come in legally as immigrants, and there are almost a million other people who come in in these various temporary guest worker categories for tech workers, for ag workers, for uh, the worst is H2Bs who are unskilled workers who aren't ag workers. This is just like the screw over poor Americans category. Uh, and then there, there's a doctor's thing. There's a, there's a, and there's, most infamously, there's the uh, EB-5 investors. If you invest half a million dollars, uh, uh, you can somehow jump the queue so that, and get the, one of these That's the rich, the rich person's path to America. It's just the Jared Kushner visa. He's, his family has been marketing these. So, um, And so it looked like he was going to shut down both the legal, regular immigrants, people who are coming to move here for life, and these temporary visas, Okay. Then business put a whole bunch of uh, uh, lead on him, and and the internal sort of the Council of Economic Advisors people said, "What will Tim Cook think of Apple? He needs his tech workers." So they basically they they let in all the tech workers. They didn't they, they don't do anything for the tech workers. So that's in effect the people. If the rationale is we want to, you know, draw, we have Americans who are desperate for jobs. We don't want to give those jobs to foreigners until we've given all the Americans the chance to get reemployed. Uh, the temporary workers are the people who are most immediately taking the jobs that otherwise might go to Americans. Uh, the There's been a counterattack by Steve Miller who says, and he has a point, which is the goal of immigration restrictionists has always, the, the holy grail has been to reduce legal immigration from a million to something less. I mean, basically the, the, the hardcore people at the Center for Immigration Studies want to cut it down to 500,000 instead of a million. Uh, and they want to do it by getting rid of these, what's so-called chain migration, which is, uh, everybody gets their spouse and their minor children, but under the current law, you can also bring your brothers and your adult children. So they want to get rid of the brothers and the adult children. And that's what Trump has done. He has paused the brothers and adult children. Oh. Uh, and so he's, he's sort of, in a tiny way, achieved the ancient dream 
of the Steve Millers well, I would, of the I world. would think you would be more festive than you seem. I would think you would celebrate that. that, that well, it's, be... a, it's only a pause that lasts for two months. So in two months, uh, these people have been well, waiting who knows? in line I for mean, 10 this years. This pandemic could go on forever. He could keep renewing it. Well, I think he, I think that's Steve Miller's idea is that well, he keeps renewing Trump it. Trump probably will. Why wouldn't he? And eventually people won't, won't even notice that these categories existed. So that I think that's his long-term strategy. Well, because there's a lot of pressure. People want to bring in their their uh, their parents is the other category. People want to bring in their parents, their brothers, and so uh, there'll be a, there'll be a there'll be a political fight. But I think Miller is right that that political fight is more winnable than the temporary worker fight where you're fighting with Steve Cook. But uh, with, with the, that's not his name. No, Steve Cook. Wait, with uh, oh, with Tim Cook. Tim Cook. You're fighting with Tim Cook. There is a Steve Cook. It's safe to say. Yeah, but, but, but anyway, but no. Do you mean Tim Apple? That's yes. That's my uh, that's my five minute summary of the immigration thing. So it's it looked like it was a total bust. Now people are realizing maybe it's not a total bust. I I, I would rather uh, I, I I think I think you know I would rather why can't he cut the temporary quotas temporary uh, visas in half? See, okay, Tim Cook, you're only getting half the people. Okay, it's better than nothing. You know, I mean, why does it have to be all or nothing? I don't understand it. Um, I don't know, but do you care so much about that? Uh, uh, I mean, do you do you worry so much about the 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 techies who have to? Um, uh, I mean, they're not really hurting, right? They're, I worry a little. I worry more. I mean, I I my my email box and Twitter feed is is filled with American techies who say I now did my. At my tenth company, where I was told to train my foreign replacement, so yeah, actually, yeah, I, I think know, it's a real problem. No, come to think of it, I know people like that. Uh, yeah. but but it isn't just immigrant. I mean, the thing about what they do is it can be outsourced, it can be offshored as easily as you know it can be done by an immigrant. I mean, that that's, apparently not because they don't do that, do they? They still want to bring these people in. I mean, I'm uh, sure Apple has facilities in India. They could employ the people in India, but the well, I think still, there is there there is some of that. But yeah, there's a lot of that, but. The, no, I, the main problem is the H2Bs, mm-hmm. uh, who are the unskilled workers. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're only, there's, it's numerically limited, so it's not the end of the world. It's like 85,000 people. It's, it's not like millions and millions of people. Uh, but the, you know, that my, the, and, and, and this, this sort of reflects Steve Miller's point is the chain migration categories are apt to be, you know, uh, somebody's brother who may well be another unskilled person. Uh, and that can affect unskilled wages probably more than just this one category of visas. So, uh, I worry about both of them, but, you know, mainly it's the, uh, once you get into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands, I think it has a real appreciable effect. Are you surprised by how little pushback this has gotten? I mean, I, it just kind of seems like amid the pandemic, it's like, there's so much to talk about and worry about. That it's wild. It's wildly popular. It has seventy to eighty percent approval. Does it? It's, yes. It's not. It's. It's not. It's well, not. That's, yeah, that's because you know that's because. Partly, probably, it's to some extent misperceived in its intent. I mean, I mean, the the official rationale is about jobs, but probably a lot of people are thinking, yeah, well, this this disease came from foreigners, so keep them out. Whereas that's. You know, not not so much the well, idea. Well, there's that too. But Trump has always emphasized jobs, and then the media says 
He's playing on xenophobic fears of disease. Well, he says mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah. At least say that he says jobs. Also, so, also, you know what's the first person I read who, who told me that, uh, you know, one of these problems with these transcontinental migrant flows is the spread of disease was Paul Krugman. Not crazy to worry about the spread of disease. Well, no, but that's not what did it in this case. Not what brought it it's here, right. I mean. That's not what brought the disease here. It was not migrants. Well, it was it was it was global it was globalist it, it was, was uh, yeah, it was it was globalization it was interconnection with other countries by definition that's the way stuff gets here but it was, it was not high end high end jet setting travelers right it was not yeah. migrants yeah the um and in fact now they've they've just learned that it hit Los uh, Southern California much earlier than they realized from southern the, or northern. Uh, well, actually, no. It's like San Jose, so kind of southern northern, it's below, northern. below uh, the well, if you're northern in Los Angeles, San northern Jose is northern, northern. Uh, well south of San Francisco. But uh, the um, yeah, Santa Clara County, somebody who worked for a company that had an operation in Wuhan. Um, but the, Silicon uh, Valley was sort of the initial conduit to California. Yes. Um. So uh, here's a question for you. Um. So when we last talked, Trump had uh, was encouraging people to revolt in Michigan, Virginia, and what, uh, Wisconsin or something? Anyway, uh, people who were fed up with the shutdown, who were in states governed by Democrats, and Trump, you know, encouraged them to revolt, which seemed odd because what they were revolting against were the kind of, broadly speaking, the kind of guidelines he was espousing ostensibly at the federal level. But anyway, leave it be that as made. Then he surprised us by, in you know, in Georgia, you had a governor uh, doing what the rebels wanted, which was to open up uh, and Trump shuts him down and he's a Republican governor. Uh, can you explain, can you explain this to us? Well, he, 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 he you know, Bert, the, the, the practical answer is that Bert, Bert, Bert got to him, got to Trump. He was deputized by the healthcare establishment. She was deputized to go talk to Trump and she apparently could talk him into a lot of things. So she talked Trump into criticizing the Georgia Opening up, which which did exceed the guidelines. I mean, they haven't met the gate, the alleged gateway, you know, numbers of a fourteen day decline or whatever it is that they have to do. Well, right, but and they opened want, up all sorts of things that aren't supposed to be opened up. I, in I understand one, like that. Tattoo parlors. I understand that, but in states run by Democratic governors, he wanted he he seemed to want them to open up before they had met the guidelines as the as the people as the people revolting wanted that's no, all he was I'm just saying say, he was just saying i support you he was just doing the standard political thing of trying to be on both sides well, yeah but if you look at what he was supporting by virtue of saying that it is at odds with what he did in georgia and is is at odds with his purported uh, overall policy goals but anyway it was surprising but i i sort of you know it, it, it does dovetail with his control freak uh his uh, come and go control freak tendencies, which is I laid down these guidelines and you violated them. Why don't you stick with the guidelines? On the other hand, he's been so laid back in terms of letting the governors do what they want. It, it's a, it's very much like lead, Obama's leading from behind. It's like I'm not going to tell you what to do. Do what you want, and I'll I'll intervene. It's it's it is a new way of approaching this, and might not be completely crazy if local conditions vary and the states that ha- don't have it. No, but uh, you do have the, the ex- you do have the externalities problem, which we've discussed, which is that 
you know, the the uh, bad policies in one region ultimately afflict another region. Negative externalities, you know, they they and so in I mean, is it just from travelers. Is it just because people travel from state to state or is yeah, it another yeah, way? It's from travelers, but nobody has shut down the interstate yet. So you're going to see a lot of travel, you know, my I, you know, my friends have made this point to me and I instinctively didn't buy it because I just don't see a, lo- a whole lot of interstate travel at the moment. I, 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 well, I don't see I mean, a lot I'll of tell you, when they open up the beaches in Jacksonville, which is right near the Georgia border, you're going to see interstate travel and then they're going to go back to their states. Yeah. Um, um, and, and that's the way it's, it's, it's going to be. And that's why it does make some sense to have these regional blocks of governors, uh, coordinating their policy, you know, but I think politically, I guess I, I'm sure everyone is saying that it, it makes, well, no, I, but 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 it seems like it makes sense for Trump to be able to say, "Well, I left it in the hands of the governors, and they screwed up." If if that becomes useful, right? I mean, is that that's part of well, the he, idea? He, he and you may have hit on the reason he he's he is you know Kemp is going ahead in Georgia and doing what he wants, so Trump can now not say you screwed up. He can say, "I warned you." Yeah. Uh, so he he's doubling his ass covering by by telling Kemp not to do it. Of course, he's uh, not. He's not especially worried about Georgia, right? I mean, he's very unlikely to lose Georgia in the election, whereas Michigan, Virginia, Wisconsin are more oh, no, in but play, right? He might be worried about the bad publicity he gets if he endorses Georgia, yeah. and all of a sudden people start dying in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but no, he he's he's totally unpredictable. Uh, he's I, zany. I I think as as I've said before, I think he's screwed unless somehow. He changes the, t- the subject before November, uh, uh, which is entirely possible. Yeah, but, uh, uh, to me, I just think it's a chaotic system. Anything could happen. I mean, for example, there could be not a vaccine, but you could well have an antiviral that um, or, or another example. I mean, first of all, as I said, there's antivirals being tested all over the place, different drugs. But also, is it Lily? Somebody says they're going to come to market with an, an antibody. An antibody drug right they're gonna uh take they're gonna use the blood of immune people and i assume this isn't just like transfusions i mean i assume they're gonna manage to replicate the antibodies and so do I this think lily's product actually actually use the blood of immune people right but don't the they other use- strategy is to artificially replicate the antibodies yeah but you can't scale up if you have to if it's if there's a one to one ratio between you know pints of donor blood and pints of recipient blood, I don't I mean, know. No, I think they've got to be replicating the antibody somehow. But anyway, that's an example of something that you know, poof, it shows up a month before the election. It confers two two months of immunity. That's a game changer. Or there's also the question. There's also the fact that you know what matters. I think as much as people's absolute level of distress is the trend line. Do things seem to be getting better? And that's why I wonder if, if Trump and his people are already starting to game out the rhythm of the shutdowns so that we can be like on an economic upswing starting in early October or something, you know? We if so, aren't they doing it too early? How many cycles do we go through by October? I mean, we, we if we open up now, we're going to have to close back up, you know, in September. That's, the, that's not good for Trump. Well, if summer indeed slows the virus... Uh, you know, heat and humidity. Um, I don't know. The timing could work out any number of ways. I, yeah. I, I haven't figured out an obvious rhythm. My, 
I don't think they my, have time for more than one shutdown. My working theory is all Biden has to do, you remember when Reagan, when everybody had doubts about Reagan, and he, he all came down to one debate with Jimmy Carter, and all Reagan had to do was convince people he was sane enough that they could trust him and they would vote for him, okay? All they have to do is pump Biden full of drugs for one debate. He can sit in his basement for the next four months. He has to come out and be sane for one debate, and he's won it. That's my theory. Sanity is not quite the problem with Biden. Um, well, but, competence. Yeah, but you know, I, I, I hope you're, I hope it works. Uh, I have been concerned for some time. I mean, I don't know. There's only so much drugs can do. He, you know, I, I do think they must have, um, figured out something pharmaceutical wise because it seemed like his debates got better, don't you think? Um, over it, the, it, your, it's, it, 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 some combination of something produced a very good debate at the end. Yes. But if it is Whereas significant, his, stand, his standard on the stump speeches were awful. So it can't just have been adrenaline. But if it is significant cognitive decline, then it, he could be in a seriously worse place in even a few months than he was last time we saw him speak impromptu, which was what a while ago, right? A month or two ago. He's been on script for the most part since yeah. the shutdown, right? I don't. Like I said. I don't, this idea of ongoing cognitive decline, I don't see. He was always not as smart as he thought he was. I disagree. A general slowing down of, slowing down of energy is different from cognitive decline, isn't it? That's what I see. Yeah, but like, I mean, granted, I think part of his problem is that he's become self-conscious about it. So he thinks he needs to speak fast and yell, and that that compounds the problem. But I mean, remember the record player passage in the uh, the record player soliloquy in one, in one of the debates. The no. problem, you know, the deal was. I'll tell you what was going on there. Not that anyone asked, but it was about poor children and why they're not like don't do as well in school or something. And he had previously done this faux pas where he said black children and he meant poor children. Do you remember that right. faux pas? That could yeah. have happened too. That that's not a sign of dementia, yeah. but but um he uh so that's he was actually trying to make a in the meanwhile he had learned all these things about why poor children underperform so he could sound emphatically not racist next time he talked about it, right? And somebody right. Yeah, had told him that there are these studies showing that affluent parents talk more and expose their children more to vocal stuff so the children hear more voices. And so then he went into this weird record player thing, not realizing that that no one has seen a record player since the 19th century, right? Well, I mean, you know. That happens on the campaign trail. When I was working for Hollings, he had, uh, you know, his his standard line on Social Security was, as Pogo says, we have met the enemy and it is us. We have we have voted ourselves more benefits than we can afford. It's not an external enemy. It's it's our own. uh you know, the, our own uh, mistakes. And, and so, but by the, by the end of that campaign, he was just going social security, Pogo, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like nobody knew what the hell he was talking about because he just got compressed in his mind. He was like reading his cue cards. So I hope it's fine. Cause I do think, you know, the governing part, even with a, uh, Biden, who's not exactly on top of his game, the governing part, I think, will go a lot better than with Trump. I will even prefer the foreign policy on balance, even though he'll be a slave to the blob. And even though Trump I, purports to be anti-blob, still Biden will do less damage to the world. 
I um, really want to know who his Biden's advisors are. I think that's the, I think that the press is obviously falling down on the job. They're going to be the de facto presidents. Uh, who are they? If I, uh, I, I was not emphatic enough on Twitter, but if I could press a button and get Bruce Reed as the de facto president, I'd, I'd press it instantaneously right now. But if I'm going to get Tom Donilon, maybe I wait a second longer before I press the button. You know, if I get somebody else, maybe I wait a second longer. What are, what are the relative merits of Bruce Reed and Tom Donilon? I, I, I know Bruce I actually slightly, don't know but Tom, not Tom I, Donilon. I don't know Tom Donilon. I met him once. He was very nice. He, he was the sort of weird, dark, uh, black, uh, you know, ninth planet in the Obama administration who was deeply involved in Benghazi, yet you never saw him, his name mentioned. He somehow kept his name out of it. I don't know if he was a force for good or a force for evil. I know nothing about foreign policy. I know Bruce Reed is a force for good. So, uh, that's why I would instantaneously. Well, he's a, uh, he's a domestic, he's a domestic policy guy. Yes. And he's your kind of domestic. He's neoliberal in the sense, in the Charlie Peters sense of the term. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but he's a, he was the, you know. Are you getting, is that an emergency alert at your end? Yes, I think I'm getting an amber alert. An amber alert? Public safety alert. The city of Beverly Hills reminds you to follow the order to stay at home. Glad I got that. Okay. That was a close Um, call. uh, So, uh, he was, he was, the the Clinton person behind welfare reform, right? That's what I mean by Charlie uh, he was Peters. Sort of a driving. Well, I, I, Charlie Peters is more like, do you do you want to, you know, uh, reach down? You know, Charlie Peters is more of an FDR person than even mm-hmm. I think Bruce Reed. And also Charlie, when you say Charlie Peters, you mean is he aware? Does he want to make the bureaucracy and government work? something clearly that Trump doesn't care about as much as he should uh, because it didn't work for him in this crisis. And you need somebody who's willing to stick their, you know, t- roll up their sleeves and stick their arms in the bureaucracy. That would be more of a Charlie Peters person. But uh, anyway, his instincts are right. They're more liberal than mine, but they're not, they're certainly not cliched liberal. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I trust him. He's also a very funny writer when he had a blog for Slate. It was hilariously funny. So I give him points for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I like uh, I like Bruce Reed a lot. Um, but, so, um, Mick, Mickey, wh- do you do you? Uh, it's looking like we're going to have a a, a China phobia arms race between Biden and Trump. You saw the Biden ad. You're not as troubled by these things as I am, but I'm the, not troubled by it. And also, Trump has called it off. Trump said he didn't like the anti anti China ads against Biden. Yeah, but there's a pack- lot of lot of agitation for it from uh, Trump, including Trumpist elites. We've talked about uh, Bannon. Um, he's, he's well, sure. Tr- I, if it I transforms mean, it, uh, that doesn't bother me, as you say. And, and in general, I'm in favor of anti-globalization and a little bit of, you know, the latest little bit nut- of autarky would go a long way. Latest nutso thing I, I've heard from Bannon's corner. I don't I don't listen to the podcast. Um as much as I uh, used to, and when I say podcast, I mean. And the worst happens. War room pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Uh, that's the podcast. I mean, but um, but but the last time I heard, he's got some guy on who wants to declare this a terrorist act by China. 
Um, and that would that would allow us to sue them in various ways and allow companies to sue them and allow us to do various other things. And the, the argument is that because when they shut down Wuhan, they did not shut down flights to America. Well, they didn't shut down flights to any country. So I guess he's saying they launched terrorist attacks on all countries, including their allies. But it's like uh, there well, is they- there is intense agitation for this. Um, yeah. I mean, well, this guy was a, was like a New York State Assemblyman. He's, yeah. but, but still, I'm, there, there is a, a lot of crazy shit. Well, there's a lot of crazy shit, but the basic point is, do we give up on the bet that your book, Non-Zero, encouraged me to want to make, which is, let's open up to China, trade with them, and they'll become more democratic. That was that's not the, the argument. Issue. We, we have covered this is, ground. The big thing is we have to give up on that, and that's that's a totally legitimate issue versus Biden. Biden doesn't want to give up on it. Trump sort of does. We have covered this ground. It isn't the economic engagement with them that you hope will will lead to the political liberty so much, in my argument, in my argument, as it is uh, that that the information technology will create a trade-off, micro, you know, the, the modern digital information technology will create a trade-off between prosperity and uh, political liberty, or at least pluralism. And I'm not ready to, to give up on that argument. I would have liked to have seen more progress than I've seen. But, but I want to say about economic engagement, that has benefits of its own. Like, like um, it, it, I think it makes war less likely. Um, and, you know, one thing... That we talked about this Josh Rogan piece in the Washington Post. Uh, I'm going to do a short thing about it in the non-zero newsletter, which will be out, I hope, this weekend. But um, the, uh, you know, we had this relationship with them where we, this Wuhan lab, were like, you know, people are saying the virus may have escaped from. And it may have. It may have. It wasn't a bioweapons thing and it wasn't genetically engineered, but it, it was being studied with, with for public health reasons and it could have escaped. But the point is, we had people in that lab. I mean, we had – they were collaborating with Americans. American officials inspected the lab. That's the kind of thing you lose if you uh, – if, if we have a new Cold War. And so – uh, you know, these are the kinds of benefits you get from actual engagement, I think, which are different, which are not necessarily, you know, bringing uh, more political liberty or democracy to China, but are, but are good in and of themselves. But uh, A lot of good those people did us. I mean, they well, look, went to the Mickey, lab. They said, Mickey, this lab is horrible. It needs safety upgrades. Right. And Trump and didn't respond. No, no, it wasn't too late, Mickey. They sent a cable to the State Department, which is, is Trump's State Department run by Mike Pompeo. And, I mean, I think the cable went to the State Department. Rogan didn't really specify. He said the cable went to Washington. Look, they sent a cable to the Trump administration in 2018 saying there are safety concerns about this lab. The Chinese people who run it want American help. Let's give it to them. It's in our interest. Trump didn't do shit. Okay? That's what happened. Don't don't blame that on economic engagement. Blame it on Trump. The... um. International bureaucracies tend to move very slowly. Isn't, aren't there always delays like that? It's a national bureaucracy. It's the American federal government. And if you're telling me you think Obama's State Department would have been as unresponsive to a message like that, I have to disagree. Yeah. You could be right. So um, one other thing quickly, you would say, I think you're the, uh, you had said on China, you had said, well, Taiwan told us uh, that there was human-to-human transmission in December 31st. Aren't you among the many people who, who have said this? Yes. Uh, apparently not true. The Guardian got a hold of the email. 
There's a Guardian piece. I guess we could link to it. Uh, it says, however, the Taiwanese email appears to have made no such warning. Uh, it was sent from Taiwan CDC to its WHO liaison officer on 31 December, blah, blah, blah. It said news resources today indicate that at least seven atypical pneumonia cases were reported in China. It doesn't mention human to human. And, and that, and that is, that meme is all over the place, like in, in Trump world. It's like Taiwan told us in the WHO there was human to human transmission. That appears to be untrue. Do we know what atypical cases means? That might be human to human. No, I think atypical means like something weird's going on. This is a weird disease. Anyway, it doesn't seem to say human uh, to human. Because um, I, I, I think, I, anyway, I, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, as long as we have time, we seem to have whipped through topics. Well, uh, we've been doing, we're at an hour and eight minutes, but but feel oh. free. Well, I wanted to bring up this, this racism issue again uh, without looking like a deer in the headlights like I did last time. I mean, I guess my understanding is that your position is if something echoes uh, what racists say about a group of people, you should be leery of broaching it in public in a way that you wouldn't be leery of if it didn't echo. And the cat, I claim that if your test, if you give the racist a veto over uh, what you can bring up, you're dramatically limiting what you can learn and things that should be in the public sphere are not in the public sphere. And the classic example of that is welfare when Moynihan wrote a report saying the black family is in deep trouble uh, and was denounced as a racist. That, that was something, it turned out the black family was in deep trouble. And later when people, not so much Moynihan, but people like George Gilder said, well, there's multi-generational welfare in, in the ghetto and, the, and there is an underclass developing. Uh, they were also criticized, and, you, and under your theory, they should be reluctant to bring out this, the fact, because it's just played in all the stereotypes about racist stereotypes about blacks. They, you know, they're, they're, they're shiftless, they're lazy, they're on welfare, they don't have families, you know? It, it did play in the racists loved welfare reform, but that didn't mean that welfare reform was a bad thing. It didn't mean that these things weren't actually happening in the black community, as some liberals at Harvard then belatedly discovered. Uh, so for like decades, uh, discussion of that was delayed by fears of being called a racist if you bring it up because actual racists did agree with this stuff. And so I, I'm in favor of being able to talk about things without, uh, worry that they're also what racists think. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, the idea that we're giving racists a veto on what we say, it just kind of reminds me, this is just an aside, but it reminds me of people who when you say, um, you know, when you, uh, when we keep bombing, uh, Islamic countries, the jihadist recruiters use that, uh, and then people, they, they incite, uh, radicals in America to like shoot places up. People would say, Oh, so you're going to give jihadists a veto on our foreign policy? I'm like, um, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, it, it seems like it leads to a better outcome than not doing that. But, um, but on this, what, what I'm, I'm saying is that, uh, yes, you, you, you should be mindful of the practical, uh, impact of things you say in the real world. So if, for example, um, now, as I recall, by the way, Moynihan, one of the main things that got him in trouble was 
a prescriptive phrase, not a descriptive phrase, benign neglect, but maybe I'm, that was later. Uh, that was later. Okay. The so, Moynihan uh, report. The Moynihan report was under Lyndon Johnson, and it said the black families falling apart. We need a massive jobs program, and that would have been a good thing. Uh, and he proposed it, and Johnson blew him off. Okay, but it wasn't that he got into deep. I don't remember. He didn't get into deep popular trouble. It wasn't. There wasn't an outcry against him, right? At that point. Oh, there, if you read, there was. Okay, so let me. Uh, but, but anyway, my view is: yes, you should be mindful. So, for example, if you're in the middle of a, a pandemic and people are freaking out and looking for people to blame, and you want to say, you know, as you've kind of been saying on Twitter repeatedly, it's the migrants. I, I think, first of all, I would I would really recommend that you just ask yourself, how does that look to other people right now? I mean, even people you know, leave aside the effect on migrants. But I'd also ask you, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, um, don't, don't under any circumstances say it. I would ask yourself, how important is it for this message to get out right now? Right. It's, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I guess the way I put it is, is, is this way. Like, if you're calling attention to the impact of low income migrants, on American wages, we know that is going to be an issue this year, next year, next year, next year, next year. Um, well, a pandemic is a little more like a black swan event, right? I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's not like there's likely to be a whole new pandemic, uh, in two years or three years. There will eventually maybe, but it's not as urgent a message to get out. I mean, for example, look, the, the, I mentioned the nursing homes, right? And the fact that they've got these low-wage workers getting to the nursing homes on public transportation. Now, probably a, a lot of those workers are, in fact, migrants, right? But right now, the main thing to deal with, to, to look at is they are low-income people getting there on public transportation. If you want to address this problem right now, it doesn't matter that they're migrants. They're the people working at the nursing homes. Right. That's the fact you have to deal with. And and so before I, I, I did a lot of tweets calling attention to the fact that they are migrants, I would ask myself, how critical is that for the policy response we need right now? And really, how critical is it to, you know, how soon is there going to be a whole nother pandemic that might revive it as a, as a thing? That's what I would say. Well, the fact that, the fact that, uh, in, in country after country, including the United States, uh, that in these meatpacking plants, uh, that, uh, in Sioux Falls, that, uh, in Singapore and in Sweden, the virus takes hold in crowded, Right. Quarters that are set up because employers like to bring in cheap migrant labor and pay them nothing, and they all live in cramped quarters. Uh, that is very relevant to now, and in terms of preventing the next yeah. pandemic. But it's not relevant to what you do about it now. That bring in migrant workers and have them live in ghettos. But it, it's uh, not relevant to what you thing. do about it now, Mickey. Right now, the public health problem demands intervention that would that would be the same regardless of who these people were. You have a problem with low-income workers in bad conditions. And by the way, there's other ways to address, like, regulation could have improved working conditions for these nursing home workers, notwithstanding the fact that they're migrants. That that was an option the, available. The nursing home workers are different than the people I'm talking about. The people I'm talking about are are are, are I'm talking about the conditions in which they live. They're, they're sort of a separate cast of people who, who are 
who are, tend to be grouped together. And we're allowed to think one step ahead, Bob, and you think one step ahead, you know, in all sorts of ways. Uh, we're allowed to think, well, gee, once this pandemic is over, maybe having indentured migrant servants isn't a good way for society to structure itself. Uh, maybe we want a system where people are more spread out in the general population. Also, you know, the other thing is that there's the, the heterogeneity problem, which is why are, why are some people, why do some people get this disease and others don't? Uh, and why do some countries perform well and others don't? And we're desperately looking for what the clue might be. Is it weather? Is it, I think it'll probably be some obscure genetic, you know, your L2 gene is different from your L3 gene or something. Uh, but we don't know. So we're throwing out crazy theories. And one theory is, you know, countries with high migrant populations, that's part of the heterogeneity. Italy has all these Chinese coming in to work in the garment trade, garment business. Uh, and they were hard hit. Uh, maybe that's a factor that explains it. I, it seems to me you're allowed to speculate it even as you're dying of the disease. You can, you can do what you want. I, I'm just saying, first of all, I, I, I really, you know, I, I think you should appreciate that certain things you can say on Twitter right now just have a really ugly look to a lot of people. You should just personally be aware of that. It I, just looks like that. And, but, and, and so I would ask you, and it can have, uh, it can uh, incite a kind of racism. It has that potential. I would ask you, how important is it to get that message out right now? Again, sure, there may be another pandemic in five years. You'll have plenty of time to talk about that at a time when people aren't freaking out. I, I would focus on what we can do right now. Intervene, deal with the situation we have, which is fundamentally an economic problem. Uh, I mean, a problem with the economic circumstances and the, and the physical circumstances of the people who right now are working in those meatpacking plants. It's too late to make them non-immigrants. Everybody agrees with that. They're Americans, I think. Nobody, nobody, nobody is against them or against the. We're, we're, we're saying that you know maybe these conditions aren't ideal conditions, and they they may work until we got a pandemic, and then they're really a, like sure. a bad deal. Of course, again, so, there are other ways to address the problem with with regulation. Then, then, but that's uh, I'm just saying it's, it's not it's not an urgent conversation. Um, and so, if you if it may have deleterious effects right now, um, by but I don't think anybody's going. Nobody's going and beating up on the Somali migrants in Sioux City. No, they're not in. They're, they're, I, I, I don't know. Read, I, I do. If know you read that, Jim Fellows, they're respected and beloved members of the community. Nobody's saying. These, nobody's saying if, they, if you see a Somali on the bus, you're going to beat him up. And the other problem is that for Chinese, are Chinese are experiencing uh, some blowback? Well, ah, that's what they maybe say. Maybe there's the a little bit, of it, but in general, in general, the image of Chinese in America is not as a poor, pestilence-carrying, uh, horrible you know, rubbish that's washed on our shores. They're admired, and they're a model minority, and everybody thinks. It, you know, to be blunt about it, everybody thinks they're overachieving and they're doing better than everybody else. Uh, and it's not, uh, it's it, nobody, it's not that they're nobody, we're, we're applying an old model from like the 1800s, uh, you know, to modern day when that is not the image of Chinese in America oh, at look, all. Mickey, you could say the same thing about anti-Semitism. Jews aren't known as underachievers. That's not I the stereotype, the same thing but there is still, there is still anti-Semitism. I do say the same thing about anti-Semitism. I think it's wrong to be as 
as over as sensitive about anti-Semitism now as it was when when Jews were a lot poorer than they used to be. Well, it's wrong to be oversensitive about anything, but uh, uh, in neither case does the nature of the stereotype completely undermine the bigotry. It, it you know, I mean, bigotry can assume many forms. Asians, some Asians are reporting. Um, if you say you can never do anything that that uh, that might emphasize the stereotype, might fit in with the stereotype, then you don't have a travel I, ban. Then you don't have I, a travel I, I, I ban from China. I didn't say that. I said, ask yourself. How much good is done by the message you're sending right now and how much bad? That's that's all I'm saying. There's no point in belaboring this. And I, and I would come up with a different calculation than – The things you say on Twitter are not – I'm not saying I would say it if I was at a White House press conference when I had, you know, bleach and other things I could well, discuss. <laughs> well, Twitter is a highly public forum. So a couple of things. Uh, I don't know if we have time for all of these. Let's see. We got some viewer feedback. Remember the CNN Chirons – that I said looked like, sounded like, I thought they were from the onion because they were so judgmental of Trump. They were like, Trump deploys propaganda to, blank, you know, Trump rewrites history. This is what it said at the bottom of the CNN screen during his press conference. Somebody on Twitter says, the CNN chirons are objectively true in every sense. The onion quality is what Trump is saying. I challenge you to watch it and come up with a more accurate description. Do you have any reply to that? I don't have a reply because... Uh, I may have one more retort on the racism thing, but, uh, the, uh, the, I, I can't watch the Trump news conferences. I just can't take it. They don't pay me enough to watch it. It's like torture to me and it's painful. And, and I keep worrying that he's going to go off the rails as he often does. So I don't watch it. So I don't know if the Kairos are accurate or not. Can I say something about that before you get in your racism retort? Yeah. It's like, it's not inaccurate to say he's deploying propaganda, rewriting history. On the other hand, there have been lots of politicians you could say that about. And he may be worse. He, he, he is worse, I think. But the fact is, there have been lots of politicians you could say that about, at least sometimes. But traditionally, the media did not do that. Trump has changed the way the media works and the nature of the headlines and the nature of the stories which might not bother me so much if I didn't think it plays into his hands. It allows him to convince his entire base not to trust any media other than like Breitbart and Fox. And um, although actually, anyway, that's my answer. But I have a question for you. Why the tension between Trump and Drudge? Has Drudge gone? Uh, Nobody knows. There was an article in the Washington Post by a reporter who, who also didn't know. Uh the crazy off-the-wall speculation is that Drudge has sold his site secretly. I don't believe that. Uh, I, you know, Drudge just thinks for himself. He's a, he's a, I, a, because uh, he early I, I, on he was an early Trump adopter, right? I mean, he was helping him get the nomination, was he not? I think so. I'm not yes. completely sure. Uh, I think so. People I, I were think, saying it. You know, he he's the sort of guy. He's independent, and he can just he may have just gotten frustrated with Trump. The weird thing is he gets frustrated with Trump at the same time as he's still promoting Ivanka. That's the weird thing. Mm. Is he'll, he'll, he'll put these glowing pictures of Ivanka up, and he's basically uh, not unrealistically critical of Trump. I mean, he's sort of, he's sort of at, at this point, he's just neutral. When Trump screws up, he says Trump screws up. Uh, I, Trump just may have like had one fuck up too many for the guy. I mean, yeah, that's maybe, maybe it's the tough love. Maybe he thinks he can actually help him. 
uh, be a better, more effective politician by giving him yeah, some negative I, feedback. I, I think it, I don't know. Trump is Trump is very, very disloyal. Okay, so he it is also entirely possible that he at some point was an asshole to Drudge and pissed him off, and Drudge said, "Well, screw this. If you're going to be an asshole to I don't know if you if this is." A, if you're going to be an asshole to me, then I'm going to be neutral. Then I'm going to play fair yeah. and call you out. So I don't know. Okay. I, now I have the last word on racism. No, I just, I think, you know, after the pandemic is over, if you bring this up, you know, five years from now, you're still going to get called a racist and you're still, there's still going to be pressure that, Oh, what are you saying to these poor Chinese people on the subway who might be discriminated against? And, you know, at some point, when 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 does one get to, to talk about the truth without worrying about sensitivity? Uh, will you will you will you like will you ring a bell and let us know when it's okay? Uh, yeah, you can count on me to ring the bell. Yeah, so just wait for that. Um, uh, that was my that was my last point. So here's the here's here's a a significant problem. Is that well? First of all, Mickey, are we going to keep doing this? We promised to do it through April, uh, back when the shutdown was going to continue until April. Now, technically, that would only get us through today because the next Friday, I think, is May first, May Day. Well, I'm over sixty. I'm not going anywhere. They're not going to let me out of here for a long time. So you're game for uh, at least some more of these. Well, I thought we should have a name, and I had a name. The distance, it was good. It was a. I was warming up to the name, the distance, as a name for our little pandemic podcast, and so I checked, you know, uh, to make sure that there were no other podcasts called the distance. And not only is there more than one, one of them is a pandemic podcast. There's a podcast on the pandemic called the distance. But it's on Vice. We should. We should just wait for Vice to go bankrupt are, and then steal the name. Bigger, yeah, we're a bigger platform than Vice, so we could we should just uh, crush them. <laughs> um, well, how about there yeah. must be something involving pangolins? Pangolins are inc- are inherently funny. Wait, are, is that the species that may have been intermediate between the bats and us? Yes, pangolin. Well, how and about pangolia? A, a scaly anteater that. that Pang- Withdraws into its own shell. Wait, pandemic rhymes with pandemic. Spell it G I M M I C K. We have a gimmick on every show and a pan on every show. <laughs> I don't know. Just let me think about pandemic. I am lunch. It. I'm liking it. Um, <laughs> you, you still don't like pandemonium. I, that's a little too frivolous for a, a, pand, a, a pandemic. I just think it's. Thing. I just think it's sort of the obvious. It's too obvious. Yeah, no, the distance was good. I was warming up to it. You even had a theme song. Um, um, the theme song worked, but what can, What the hell? It did work. Okay, so I guess I'll that's... I'll do it for one more week at least. You'll do it for one more week at least and then and then contract negotiations? Oh, that reminds me. Oh, oh, it would be unseemly to try to turn this into a revenue generator, wouldn't it? Okay, we can't do that then. Never mind. The um, Everyone's doing the opposite. They're, they're they're like taking paywall content, and if it's about the pandemic, they're making it free. Right. So we should at least say that this would be behind the paywall, but but out of the goodness of our hearts, we're making it uh, freely. Is there available. a blogging heads paywall? No, no. We would okay. say that. We would just say it. Okay. Pretend we have a paywall. Now, I have done. You know, I um I have a Patreon site. Uh, like a Robert Wright Non-Zero Foundation Patreon site, and I have done some video conversations that are only available on that, but not many. Yeah. 
I know I, what. It, I know what. Well, well, no, this is genius. You you start a, a, a Patreon site. I have a Patreon site. And uh, we have conversations that aren't about the pandemic available only to patrons on one or both sites. Or we do a joint Patreon site. Or we have all three. Or like a network of Patreon sites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never um, mind. Okay. We can talk about this. We can talk about this. Okay. So um, I guess we're going to do this next week is the uh, news. And is there anything else I want to say? Mm, I think I no. straight, straightened you out on most things. Yeah. I don't think this glasses look is going to come back next time. So Well, so take a good look, folks. Enjoy You're going to get this people. again. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll, okay. We'll, see, we'll see you next week. See ya.